Thank you for tuning in to the recorded service of McGregor Evangelical Mennonite Church for March 28, 2021. It is Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. verses 1 to 2 and 19 to 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The Call to Worship In the current of life, God calls us to deep hope. God wakens my ear, and I turn to God. I do not turn toward those who strike me. I do not hide my face from insult. God helps us, so let us stand up together. Save us, O Lord. Bind the festival procession with branches. You are our God. We give thanks, for you are good, and your steadfast love endures. Many shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became our hope. We call out to you as you call us to deep hope. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me all my days. confession and assurance. Deep calls to deep. We call to you from the depth of our hearts. We confess the rapid pace of life that sweeps us off our feet into whirlpools of expectations, into eddies of busy distractions. We confess our need for a steadfast stream of your grace 
enduring forever, saving us. Deep calls to deep, you call to us from the depth of your love. Calling us to deep hope, we come to you, God.
Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this new Palm Sunday as those, we hope, yelling Hosanna. Here is the Lord on high. Here is the one who will build the kingdom of David. God, we see you this Palm Sunday, we hope, with this level of intensity, with this level of excitement, And God, if we don't, we pray that you set in us whatever needs to happen so that we do. So that when we see you approaching, we are not filled with indifference. We're not filled with dread. We are not filled with anything other than the kind of praise that would cause us to throw our coats before you. To throw palm branches and wave them. To lend you a colt to ride. God... On this Palm Sunday, Lord, we pray as we see you approaching, set the fire in us that needs to be set so that we are excited with all that we are to see your imminent arrival. God, this we pray. And Lord, this is also something we pray for the world around us as well. God, every year that passes, it feels a little bit more like The world around us is less and less excited to hear of your name. A large extent of the reason is likely even due to your church. And God, we pray, please forgive us for that. But God, please, please, please guide us in what we need to do and walk alongside us to light the fires in the hearts of those around us to be just as excited as we are to see you arrive at the gates of the city. God, we pray, lighten the hearts of those around us 
that same hunger, that same excitement, that same exuberance, that same ecstatic feeling that we have known when we see you face to face. God, with everything we are, this we pray. And finally, as we are now looking to head into Holy Week, a time all about how the feeling of excitement can turn to something much worse when there is even the slightest bit of pushback. Even if it is done out of the deepest of loves, God, we pray, help us not to fall into that trap. God, we pray, help us to remain excited to see you, even as we look at what is to come. Lord, with everything we are, we pray these things. Amen. The New Testament reading is from Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Every year on Palm Sunday, we tell the story of Jesus entering the gates of Jerusalem in grand and spectacular detail. We talk about how Jesus rode on the back of a donkey and of the crowds incalculable surrounding him, chanting his name. We talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the powers that be gathered in the crowd who realize that now is the time to really take serious this threat to their status as the top dogs, this Jesus. We talk about palm branches and the triumphal march. We talk about how when our Lord entered the gates, passing the walls of holy Jerusalem, things were made clear. We talk about how he was embraced by the people there that knew that nothing would ever be the same. This time of the year, these are the stories we tell of when our God entered Jerusalem. And we tell these stories because that is what we read happens in the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and to a lesser extent, John. But this year, We're looking at Mark's telling of the event. And in Mark, the point that is being made is a little different. But one thing in common of all of these tellings is where we begin. A place we will see again before Holy Week is done. The Mount of Olives. But where the next time we come here, we see Jesus doubled over in prayer with guards led by Judas fast approaching him. Now we see him beginning to set the stage for something new in the world. 
a divine debutante march, if you will, Jesus's royal debut. And I say this because all through the book of Mark, Jesus has in many ways actually been keeping a pretty low profile, all things considered. Don't get me wrong, he has been preaching to thousands and changing the world and healing and amazing those that he comes across, transforming lives, sure, but all along he's been doing just that while keeping his true identity on the down low, or at least on the down low as much as possible. The first time anyone even refers to Jesus as the Messiah in the book of Mark is only three chapters before this, but now on the Mount of Olives, Things are about to change fast. Soon, the royalty of our Lord is going to be made known. To two of his disciples, unnamed, Jesus says, Go to the village ahead and get me. And here it actually says colt and not a foal, as you would expect, because a foal is a young donkey. So right away in our minds, we, we need to change our thinking and either picture Jesus on a pony or a mule or a horse, because this is about two millennia before today, we can guess pretty confidently that it's not talking about a gun. Now, I would be remiss to not mention that it is possible that Jesus is riding a donkey and Mark's telling of this story, and he's just using the word colt as a catch-all term, but regardless, Mark doesn't think that it's important to specify what kind of animal that Jesus is on. Luke actually does the same thing. Now, is this change important? Saying colt instead of donkey? Roundabout yes, but not really here. Jesus riding in on a donkey is a very symbolic thing, as that is how a famous king from ancient Israel entered Jerusalem long ago, an ancestor of Jesus really, uh, which is why Matthew and John make sure to point out that detail, that, that link. Here it isn't really something that Mark cares enough to specify though, because to Mark, that is just kind of icing on the cake, because one way or the other, how Jesus is approaching Jerusalem shows that he is a big deal. Kingly, in a broad sense even, not just in a specific sense, kingly in a way that other kings of the time would have understood. Because being the only person to ride a horse kind of screams, I'm a king, out loud. I'm somebody important, out loud. And to prove Jesus' kingliness is what all comes next. Because to these two disciples, we read Jesus say, When you find the colt, take it. And if the owner asks why, say the Lord needs it. And so this plays out as if Jesus knows the future. And as the disciples go to untie the colt they find, uh, and the owner of that colt comes out to ask what they're doing, as obviously he would, as losing a colt was likely a bigger deal back then than it is even today, this is how they respond. And to this, the owner says nothing. He just kind of goes with it. The fact that the Lord has come and needs that baby horse, at no point do we get even an inkling from Mark that the owner thinks this is odd. It's as if the owner, a man never mentioned before or again, knows that Jesus is coming, who he is, and that doing this, that lending him this colt is just the right thing to do. And so, steed in hand, 
back to the Mount of Olives the disciples go. And our Lord mounts and his procession begins. And here again we are met with a bit of a different picture than the one we get in some of the other tellings. For while people we read do spread their cloaks before the mounted Jesus so that he does not even trod upon the earth. The kind of thing you do to honor the kingliest of kings. Here we read not a mention of palm branches but instead Cuttings from the field is what is said, which means that unless the fields that they were cutting from were particularly unkept and allowed palm trees to grow, palm branches would be unlikely to be the thing harvested in this way. So imagine before the colt, they are throwing all manner of crops because the time of year this story takes place in right around Passover, Passover is a week after this, uh, is right around when spring harvest takes place in that much warmer region that Jerusalem inhabits. The people are throwing the fruit of their hands, the fruit of their labors before our God. And while that is a bit of a change, what is like the other tellings is that here too, the people before and around our Lord are ecstatic. And this is actually telling of something. And that is that these people are almost certainly of those who have been following Jesus for the last few years as he preached his way across the countryside. And we can figure this because of what the people are saying. Because these are people who know Jesus well enough to feel comfortable praising him, calling Hosanna, blessed, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, saying of him that blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. That these are people who have spent time with Jesus across the lands of Palestine. We can guess that with some amount of certainty because these things that this crowd is calling are exaltations that would get you in a heap of trouble if you were to say them about just some random Joe Schmo. To be praising Jesus in this way, saying these charged words, that is a big deal. The kind of big deal that you wouldn't just heap on no one. The kind of big deal that you make sure that you are right about before you speak because they are the types of praises that could very possibly get heresy charges thrown at you if you threw them around too lightly. The penalty of which is a possibility of a light to even a heavy stoning. And so that these are people that come from outside of Jerusalem, from people who had traveled with Jesus, his long followers, this we can be pretty sure. But this does bring us to another stunning difference between this and Luke's telling of the story of Palm Sunday. Not a single Pharisee or Sadducee or leader of the city do we see mentioned in this group praising the Lord on. More than that even, not a single mention of anyone from Jerusalem do we see mentioned in this passage. Luke goes out of his way to mention the city's leader's presence among the people when he tells his story. With with Mark, not a single person from inside the walls of fair Jerusalem is named. And with this realization, Jesus arrives at the walls of God's city. And in what is one of the best bits of writing in all of the book of Mark, we read in verse 11 of our passage today, in which Jesus finally enters the town, goes to the temple courts, looks around, and then we read he leaves to go back to a small town in Bethany with the other disciples because it was late. What? 
For comparison, in Matthew's telling, all the city, we are told, is a buzz that this great person has arrived. In Luke's telling, Jesus prophesies as to the future of the city of God. But with Mark, we are met with nothing. This is how Mark chooses to end what is one of the biggest and grandest moments in the entirety of his gospel. No crowds in the city, no grand speeches, just a very firm and practical. He looked around, it was late, so he left. When you read this verse, it sounds like the city is a ghost town. Even though Jesus arrived right at what would have been one of the busiest times of the year, Yet no mention of anyone inside the walls. No one from the city to praise. No one from the city to proclaim. No one in the city to even receive our Lord. And that is the key to understanding the biggest point that Mark is trying to make in our passage today. No one was there in Jerusalem to receive Jesus, riding in on his borrowed cult. No one was there in Jerusalem, the holy city, the crown jewel of God's people, to meet their Lord. But that is not at all how we read the people outside the city to be. The rural people outside the city are the people who give our God his valuable horse, fit for a king to ride free of charge. The people outside the city are the ones who follow our Lord in droves because they cannot get enough of him. The people outside the city are the ones who sacrifice their coats, their belongings for him. They are the ones that give of their fields, their livelihoods for him. They are the ones who sacrifice their own safety to proclaim from on high that this man is the one sent by God. But from in the city itself, the city who should have been over the moon to finally have received her savior, long prophesied to lift them up, the ones who with all their being should have been beyond understanding due to their giddiness at finally meeting the one called the Messiah, From them, Mark goes out of his way to point out there was nothing. No, not just nothing. It's worse than that even. Indifference. Jesus shows up looking around and then leaves because it's late. In one short passage, Jesus goes from on a high of highs in the eyes of the people to of literally no consequence in the eyes of the city that should have been the most excited to see him of all. He gets their attention over the coming days, but from the get-go, nothing. Mark goes out of his way to show Jesus as a king returning to his royal city, and as he enters her gates in full triumph, he is met with a people unable to see why he even matters. We see the Lord of all creation met by his beloved people with apathy. And as he goes through the days yet to come, ultimately leading to his death, we see this indifference turn to discomfort, then hostility, and finally violence. And all along, Christ only shows love. So... What does this matter to us today? Well, to that, I say this. When we read this passage, 
we should do so while asking ourselves, what side of the city walls do we find ourselves on? Many of us listening to this, we're rural folks ourselves. So I ask, do we see ourselves in the actions of those outside the holy city? Are we their kin? Are we people who are willing to give up things incredibly valuable to us just because the Lord needs them now, like the farmer and his colt? Are we willing to take our coats, throwing them before the Lord, in effect praising him, exalting him, higher and higher with all that we possess and all that we own and all that we have? Are we willing to take from our livelihoods, the plants of the fields, the works of our hands and of our time in order to do the same? Are we willing to, like our rural kin from this story, proclaim our Lord as the one sent by God, knowing full well it could be to our own detriment doing just that? Is this who we are? Or is our home on the other side of the walls, snug as a bug, safe inside the gates? Are we the ones who should be the most excited to see our God, but when he actually comes to face us, we are at first indifferent, then uncomfortable, then hostile, and finally so fed up that we want to kill him ourselves. The story of Palm Sunday in the book of Mark begs us to ask ourselves just that. Which side of the walls are you on? Only in your heart, and more importantly, with your actions, can you answer that question for yourself? But make no mistake, my brothers and sisters, the Lord is approaching the gates. So you should really make your mind up on this fast.
Today's benediction comes from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go now and serve our God.